And it says, On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the, when the parents brought, the chi- brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. Dear friends, Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And at that time, Israel needed some consolation. They were in a bad way. Their hopes and dreams had no connection to reality on the ground. Their expectations were not being met because at this time the people of Israel were living in the time of the second era temple, the second temple period. The first temple, the one made by Solomon, the beautiful one, that was made or that was ruined by the Assyrians as they went out into exile. And the second temple was the one, or I think it was the Babylonians who, who tore it down. But the second temple was the one built when the exiles returned. The one that wasn't, well, it wasn't half bad, but it wasn't as good during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah and Zerubbabel. But despite all their hopes of a renewed and wonderful life in the land, nothing really came of it. They understood that they were the people of the true God. They had their national identity as the people of God. They knew that they were the graciously chosen people of God to be a light to the nations. And as as that was, you know, forming in them, they they were glad for that. But there was something deeply wrong. Physically and geographically, 
They were in the Holy Land, centered in Jerusalem, the city of Zion, but theologically, politically, they were still in exile. They, here we go. The promises of God had yet to be fulfilled. The wrong rulers were still in power. The age of the messianic blessing had been delayed and God has, had yet to act in a decisive way. Sure, they, they had the, the land uh, that they were living in. They, they could live there. And, but why is the pagan in charge of that land? The land of promise. Sure, they had all the symbols of their faith. The temple, the law, circumcision, the land, festivals, synagogues. But why hadn't God acted in a decisive way? And brought his kingdom. This is the land of unrequited dreams. This is the land of spiritual malaise and smoldering frustration. They needed comfort. They needed action. They needed hope. They needed consolation. And they needed this certain kind of consolation. The con- and the, that means, the Bible means God's promised kingdom. And the comfort the the confidence, the strength that comes with God's kingdom when God acts, when God is here, when God is our God and all the nations get to see it. God had set Simeon to waiting for that consolation. He had promised, Simeon, you will not die until you see the consolation of Israel. So Simeon waited. But others couldn't wait They wanted to do something now, like the zealots who offered the consolation of armed conflict. They believed that the people didn't have the consolation of the kingdom because they haven't risen up yet. Let's trust God to fight our battles and openly revolt against the pagan oppressor. And then there were the Essenes who offered the consolation of withdrawal. Let's set up a parallel kingdom in the desert outside of the current realities and there we will find consolation through withdrawal, through prayer, through strict holiness. And then you had the Pharisees who offered the consolation of engaged public holiness. If only we could be holy and pure. If only we could rid the land of, of all sin and all the unrighteous people like prostitutes and tax collectors and evildoers. Strict obedience of the law will enable God to act and bring the consolation of God's kingdom. If only for one day we were holy, God would come and act. And then you had the Sadducees who said, well, we have to make the best of what we've got. Let's be realistic. Let's work with what's on the ground. Work with the powers that be and, and seek to influence them toward our goals and hopes. The consolation will come, but it will come gradually. But Simeon had another plan. Simeon waited. Simeon was not aligned with the zealots, the Essenes, the Pharisees, or the Sadducees. He he longed for the same thing they wanted. He he longed for the, the kingdom to come, for the Messiah. The only difference was the strategy. Simeon had a vision from God that he would see the consolation. So he went, prompted by the Holy Spirit, to the temple 
where that Messiah would show up. Simon personified faithful, hopeful, expectant Israel. He was looking forward. He was waiting. We assume he was an old man because beside him was Anna, who was 84. We, we assume he, he had lived a long time waiting for this consolation. We, we don't know how old Simeon is or was. And the only thing we need to know is that Simeon was the one who would see it. Simeon would recognize the consolation. It would come in his lifetime and his eyes would land on that consolation and he would recognize it when it came. And in this baby Jesus, Simeon saw it. Among the usual crowds, Simeon spotted the unusual. Among all the normal things, he saw something that was hugely abnormal. It was the baby. He saw a baby. And in that baby, he saw the salvation of God, the one who would bring in that kingdom of forgiveness and wholeness and right living before the face of God. He saw in, a, in this baby a light that would shine for all the nations to see. Surely a new day was coming in this child. He saw it. And he recognized the coming of the kingdom of God in a powerful new way. And so he said it. Here is the light. Here is the light for all the nations. Lord, as you have told your servant, now dismiss you me in peace because I have seen it. I've seen the consolation of God. I've seen the light. All the nations will see this light. But then he saw something else. And he probably would have bit probably would have preferred to bite his tongue than to say all these things, but not everybody would see the child in the way he did. Not everyone would see him as the consolation from God because, well, Simeon points to controversy. This child is destined to cause the rising and falling of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many will be revealed. And he said to Mary, and a sword's going to pierce your heart too, Mary. When this child grew up, he spoke to the hopes and fears of the people, but it wouldn't be what they wanted to hear. And you wonder, what would Jesus say that would cause so much controversy? Who is this child that, that showed up? Who is here? Well, it's Jesus. And Jesus mostly spoke about the kingdom of God. His preaching was filled with the idea that Israel's story was reaching its climactic, dramatic fulfillment. God was on the move. God is about to act in, in history. And Matthew records Jesus' theme for all his sermons. And from that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. That's the very first sermon Jesus preached, and it's the, the, the content of every sermon he preached. The kingdom is here. Repent. Jesus announced it was at hand, in your midst. And he told stories about the kingdom of God. Well, so far, so good. When he preached, in, preached that, that message in Nazareth, in his home synagogue, reading from Isaiah about good news to the poor and an acceptable year of God and, and you know, all the sight being given to the blind and, and all these wonderful things, people initially loved it. Because they would listen to this with a lot of interest. Because their deepest hope 
and dream was that God would bring in his kingdom. They were looking for a new exodus, a new messianic age, a dawn of a new era. Finally, finally, it's starting. And at this point, Jesus was entirely comprehensible. Here's the prophet of God rising up to show us what to do. And as Luke, as Luke describes it, he said that all spoke well of him and were amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. But there was a scandal about Jesus' words too. Jesus said that the kingdom of God is near. It's, it's at hand. It's in your midst. Jesus spoke about other people <clears throat> belonging to this kingdom. Jesus said God might even pass some people by who were thinking they were in this kingdom but aren't really in this kingdom because they refused to believe. Well, we don't know about this, Jesus. We are the children of Abraham. And immediately after Jesus spoke some words they didn't want to hear, Luke says this, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked through the crowd <clears throat> and went on his way. Clearly, <clears throat> Jesus could cause the rising and falling of many even on the same day. Why didn't people accept his message about the kingdom of God? Well, as Brian McLaren put it, a Jewish hearer in Jesus' day, to them, the kingdom of God may have been an accessible <clears throat> and evocative metaphor, but the concept of at hand may have come as a shock and a contradiction of everything they had thought. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> he says this, everyone thought that the kingdom of God would not happen now. It, would, it could only happen then, later, after the Romans were ejected or eliminated, which in turn couldn't happen for the zealots until later, after the Jews were militarily mobilized by, and led by a great military liberator <clears throat> or messiah which couldn't happen for the Pharisees until later, after all the prostitutes and drunks and other undesirables were either reformed or otherwise eliminated. Put together, these conditions were so hard to imagine actually occurring anytime soon that they were considered, by the comfortably adjusted Sadducees, completely improbable. No, practically impossible. The kingdom of God Maybe in a distance someday, <clears throat> but at hand, here and now, no way. It's a fairly convenient point of view, really. Think of our situation today. If you're waiting for something else to happen before the kingdom of God comes, what does that do for your life right now? If you believe that war should cease or that poverty should be eradicated or the hungry fed or that the environment should be cleaned up, but only later when God's kingdom comes, when God arrives, when Jesus comes back, when he ushers in that kingdom, what ethic would control your life right now? It doesn't really matter what I do then. I really shouldn't have to worry about doing anything about it because God will fix it when his kingdom comes. And it all comes later. 
And, and for now, I'll just kind of be frustrated, and I'll, but I'll still live my comfortable little life here or create my own little kingdom right now. But, but what would happen if the kingdom was present now? If the kingdom is, close, is closer than you think? What if someone said, now's the time. Open your hearts and open your checkbooks. Shut down your weapons f- factories. Redistribute your wealth. Open your doors to others. That would be a scandal. It would be hard to imagine such a prophet would be well received. What do you think? Talking about this kingdom being near. We can't see any evidence of it. We liked it better off when it was far away. No wonder they wanted to push him off the brow of the cliffs near Nazareth. No wonder he got under the skin of the powers. And what's more, this kingdom is not the kingdom that they were expecting. Because Jesus He alters the traditional stories of the kingdom of God. He has the wrong people living happily ever after. He mixes up the characters and changes the ending. Yes, God is going to act, but it won't be anything like they expect. And it won't look the way they think it will look. Because Israel expected to be vindicated by her enemies. Or before her enemies. But Jesus points out that she's under threat of judgment for pursuing a path of violent resistance to Rome. And instead of a glorious rebuilt, gloriously rebuilt temple at the center of everything, God was about to lay waste the holy city and destroy the temple utterly. And it came true in A.D. 70. And instead of God bringing his kingdom to those who are pure and holy and obedient to the strict interpretations of the law, he will open the door to all sorts of shabby characters, prostitutes, tax collectors, Samaritans. And instead of the kingdom coming gradually through human effort and manipulation, it comes solely through one person, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus proclaims that all the long and twisting stories of God's coming kingdom will finally come to the center point or rather to the center person, Jesus. All that he represents, all that he teaches, his life, his death, his resurrection is the basis of the kingdom of God, not politics, not religion, not economics. As N.T. Wright puts it, this retelling of the Jewish story includes a redefining of the true people of Yahweh. True Israel consists of those who repent of their own kingdom agenda to follow Jesus trusting his kingdom message and embracing his way of salvation. He preaches and authorizes a forgiveness that sidesteps the centrality of the sacrificial system. He acts in mighty deeds that symbolically express a kingdom being inaugurated in his own life and ministry. He tells stories that subvert a typical Jewish reading of the way things are and ought to be. He marginalizes the all-important Jewish symbols of temple, land, family, and Torah, It is no surprise that such a person was considered crucifiable. Not only did they speak against this sign, they also crucified him and killed him. As John says in his gospel, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet those who received his message, who accepted him as Messiah, Jesus has made all the difference in the world. And so we see Jesus being 
presented at the table, this little baby, who would have thought this little baby has just such a bundle of joy now to his mom and dad is going to be that, all that and more. He's received by this elderly Jewish man who, respect, who represents all of expecting, expectant Israel. And he speaks a prophetic word that has come true in Jesus' life. He has caused the rising of many in Israel. And what about us? We are not living in first, first century Jerusalem, nor do we have the same religious or political situation. Yet Jesus' message is profoundly timeless and translatable into every culture. It's amazing how someone who came to minister to speak to the urgencies of the, of the Jewish religious, cultural, and political situation can still speak to you and me today in the 21st century in the secular world. It's amazing how his message can be brought to every tribe and nation and tongue and still speak into their situation because we, and we really don't speak about kingdoms anymore. We have democracies and republics and constitutional monarchies. The language of the kingdom seems so ancient. And yet, you can call this thing whatever you want. You can call it the party of God. You can call it the dance of God. You can call it the mission of God, the dream of God, the story we find ourselves in, the symphony of God, the invasion of God, the counterculture of God. All these are ways of speaking about God's kingdom, his divine involvement in our world. Through Jesus, he has come into this world and claims it as his own. And he speaks into this world his life-giving word and moves among us in his, into this world to draw to himself those who would have faith and trust in him. And even today, his teachings subvert our world. His teachings of self-giving love, forgiveness, compassion, dying to self, holiness, acceptance, repentance are still able to get under our skin and, and yet still be able to transform our lives. To some, his words are foolishness and threatening. To others, his words are life-giving and transformational. But we still hear the voice of Jesus into our situation. So here is the consolation. Simeon got to see. He saw what he saw transcends time and culture and continues to speak to you and me today. The kingdom is near. It is here and it's coming into this world in Jesus. Repent and believe. Amen. Let's pray. O glory of Israel. The coming of your son, Jesus, broke open the heavens and prepared a way for all of your children to come home to you. Give us eyes to see your miraculous spirit moving in this church and in this world. Give us eyes to see this consolation, this kingdom of light breaking into our world in all its majesty and glory, in all its controversy and, and things that get under our skin and also transform us. Teach us to be proclaimers of your love to the nations for the sake of the one whose name is redemption for the peoples, Jesus Christ, our salvation. Amen.